Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So last night was the world premiere of Mulan. I was there. I saw the movie. HT, for the site, you went around and you got all the reactions. What are people thinking of the new Mulan movie? Yeah, let's get down to business. Uh. <laughs> people really liked Mulan. Uh, people are praising the latest Disney live action remake as one of the best live action remakes from the House of Mouse yet. Uh, with Angie Han, who works at Mashable and used to work at Slash Film, uh, saying that Mulan is the best of the Disney live action remakes in Cinderella. I don't even miss the songs. She praised its gorgeous action, heart, humor, and star Lu Lu Fei. Uh, and similar reactions were across the board. People praised the heart of the film, the um, cinematography and the battle sequences, which people said were reminiscent of wuxia epics. Uh, wuxia is the kind of martial arts films that you would see it, like 
with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or um, Hero, or House of Flying Daggers, the kind of uh, balletic uh, martial arts films that were very common in the early 2000s. Um, so yeah, people praise that. Um, director Nikki Caro's direction, uh, the fight sequences were definitely um, highlighted amongst the reactions to Mulan, as well as uh, new star... Um, Yosan An, who plays the uh, love interest of um, Mulan, and apparently the romantic chemistry gets quite steamy. And while some people miss some of the um, elements from the animated films, like the music sequences and sidekicks, they said that the rest of the film more than made up for it. Yeah, I was not expecting this movie to be that good. Well, first of all, let me say that I think I've only seen the animated movie Mulan once, and I think that's, like, around the time it came out. I, I think I was probably in my, like, too cool for school, like, I'm, you know, Disney animated movies for kids kind of, like, attitude at that point in my life. So I haven't, like, gotten to revisit it, but I don't remember loving it. Uh, I, I really don't have like a good memory of it. like I don't have uh, a good recall of the movie at all uh but you know it's never been something like I grew up with uh so I didn't have that attachment that I think some people have to like you know Mushu and the the the, the musical numbers and stuff like that um so going into this and, and I had heard from test screenings that there was some some mixed reviews from test screenings so going into this I was expecting not to love this movie and i was i was shocked at how much i liked uh you know this is so majestic uh the action is thrilling it like does this interesting thing where like the camera's kind of like rotating on its side uh, choreographed to the the action it's hard to describe and it's not something you definitely have to see um I think this movie, I'm just surprised, this movie aims for, like, a level of sophistication, uh, care with, you know, culture and uh, beauty that I just don't expect from, like, these Disney live-action adaptations. And I I guess that just brings me down to, like, I'm not sure who this movie is for because I don't think this movie is for kids. It's PG-13. I think people that grew up with the animated movie might... uh, have some like whiplash because this is like just so different. Um, but Ben, you also saw this movie. I'm wondering what you thought. I did. And I liked it a lot. I actually revisited the animated movie for, I think I've probably only seen that animated version, maybe like two or three times or something total in my life. It was definitely not in my rotation when I was a kid, but I, it's on Disney plus right now. So I rewatched it knowing that I was going to be watching the screening and, um, I like the live action version a lot more. Uh, I know that is probably sacrilege for some people who, you know, hold the animated version near and dear to their hearts. But I I think um, it does a lot better with the story. And I think that, Peter, you're talking about like the differences between the live action and animated version. I, you know, even though um, this movie is not perfect, I would much, much, much rather Disney be doing making movies like this where there are considerable differences between you know the the movies that uh that came before than just doing the shot for shot kind of stuff that we've seen before because these choices are always more interesting to me um i I echo a lot of your thoughts i think the uh the fight choreography is really great i actually was i saw it on saturday at the director's guild of america in la and nikki caro and the star of the movie were there and they did a q a and i wrote up 
Um, so I wrote an article about that and, and transcribed a lot of their quotes. So maybe we can link to that in the show notes if people are interested in more of like how this movie came together. But uh, Nikki Caro was talking about like how Game of Thrones basically changed the game for how to shoot big battles. And so she had to sort of get creative under the Disney brand of not being able to show you know, uh, blood and gore and, and all that, the kind of stuff that would actually be on a real battlefield. So she, you know, decided to use a geothermal valley as some of the settings and stuff. And that way she was able to use some of the um, smoke and steam to sort of obscure some of the violence and make it cinematic that way. So I, I love the look of the movie. Um, I thought the star, uh, how do you pronounce her name again? I'm sorry. Uh, Lou Yufei? Yufei. Lou Yufei. Okay. I thought she was really great. I mean, that's one of the things that the live action Disney movies have done very well. I guess um, Lion King aside, because everyone in that uh, in the leads of that uh, movie were a a little boring. But um, the live action people, you know, like I loved the lead of uh, of Aladdin, uh, Mina Musaud. I I thought he was great. Um, And yeah, this Mulan actress is fantastic, too. So, um, yeah, I I came away very, very surprised with how much I enjoyed it. It's not going to like light the world on fire but in terms of like who it's for i think it's for anybody who um who just likes this story and wants to see a different version of it i think uh the wuxia elements were really surprising to me because i hadn't really paid much attention to the marketing um so that was kind of cool anybody who likes yeah like battle scenes fight sequences stuff like that um in a relatively family uh, friendly context i think a lot of people will find a lot to like about mulan i mean i i just think that it's it's weird because i feel like mulan you know skews young and this movie is for like it almost feels like a movie a 200 million dollar art house film (laughs) i mean it is a little bit disney and you know corny at times and you know i'm not saying it's you know on that level but like it it is just strange and i i i'm wondering you know who's gonna find this movie i mean this movie was made for hd i guess is the answer (laughs) Right. Yeah, maybe it is made for people who grew up on the animated one and want to, you know, just take their families yeah. now to go my see my family, my children. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- when I went to the premiere last night and we were driving into the Hollywood and Highland Center because this was held at the Dobie Theater, there was bomb sniffing dogs. And there was also like one of those guys that comes underneath your automobile with like a mirror looking for bombs and stuff. And I've never encountered this. You know, after going to premieres in Hollywood for the last 10 years, even the biggest of premieres, like big star, you know, Avengers Endgame, where there's like all the movie stars in the world are at this like one location. I've never seen this happen. And uh, I, I, I at first didn't know why this was happening. But after writing my review reaction on Twitter... I I saw a ton of tweets, tweets at me, angry tweets saying that this mo- nobody should see this movie. Hashtag boycott Mulan. So HT, why, why don't you tell me what what is going on here? All right. Well, I'm going to try to condense a for sort of complicated political situation into so many words, but. Um, Boycott Mulan stems from comments that star Liu Yufei made in August 2019 when she, on the Chinese social media app Weibo, said, I support the Hong Kong police. You can all attack me now. What a shame for Hong Kong. And she said this in response to um, protests that have been ongoing and are still ongoing, actually, in Hong Kong over a an amendment, a bill that would basically allow for the Hong Kong government to extradite criminals um, from territories that um, 
the Hong Kong government doesn't have uh, jurisdiction over, including mainland China. And this kind of all goes back to uh, the uh, tension between the Hong Kong government and the Chinese mainland government, um, which is, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm the Chinese Central People's Government. Um, if to kind of sum it up, the Central People's Government uh, now has jurisdiction over Hong Kong after years of Hong Kong being sort of a, um, a independent sovereignty. It was uh, inherited from British Hong Kong and uh, kind of remained independent of uh, mainland China for a long time. But recently, the Central People's Government now has um, essentially taken over and are starting to um, exert more influence and power over Hong Kong. And the residents of Hong Kong are not happy about that. They have been protesting since uh, early 2019. And uh, those protests have escalated with Hong Kong police uh, essentially using police brutality and violence against the protesters. Protesters have also used some violent uh, methods as well, throwing petrol bombs and vigilante attacks. So, uh, but it is very much a an issue of just kind of this political um, uh, tension going on in, in China and Hong Kong at the moment. And uh, Liu Yifei, who has long worked uh, in the Chinese uh, movie industry, she has, she was actually called, I think, one of the, um, the actresses of the new wave of Chinese uh, cinema at the moment. And um, she basically put her uh, support out for the central uh, people's government and the Hong Kong government. Um, and um, people are uh, protesting and uh, suggesting to boycott Mulan because of her comments. Um, so, it is to say that uh, she and a lot of other Chinese actors have thrown their support in with the Chinese government, despite the government's um, often tyrannical. Uh, is tyrannical the right word? I'm sorry to like. <laughs> this is something that I'm trying to uh, yeah, it's, say. It's a very complex because it's situation. It's a very complex thing. Yes. Um, so she, uh, like, even Donnie Yen, has uh, been known to be pro Beijing as well. So um, because of like the the very um, the Chinese cast that come in, most of the cast of Mulan are from mainland China versus some of the other actors like um, Yosanan comes from Australia, a few of them, but the majority of them come from mainland China uh, because of their stance on the Hong Kong protests, their support of the Chinese mainland government, uh, the a lot of people who are um, in support of the Hong Kong protesters and their um, fight for more privacy and uh, freedom, essentially, uh, are calling for a boycott of Mulan. Okay, future Peter here. I'm breaking in because we got a little bit of this whole China situation a little bit wrong. HD is here to clear things up. HD, tell us yes. what, what what is going on. I unfortunately am not a historian, and I got some of the details wrong. Uh, I want to say that uh, Hong Kong has been under Chinese sovereignty since 1997, and they're under a, a high degree of autonomy uh, until 2047. But uh, the 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 bill that basically became the uh, spark of the Hong Kong protests kind of. Uh, blurred that line between how much jurisdiction the Chinese mainland government had over Hong Kong. And the big fear around this bill is that uh, Hong Kong residents who uh, enjoyed that sort of freedom uh, as a sort of autonomous uh, government 
uh, would be, you know, under the mainland, would be more less empowered under the mainland government and would essentially be whisked away to um, be tried under um, under the mainland government's uh, system versus being protected by the Hong Kong government. So this is something that uh, would was a big fear for from the protesters who uh, saw that as their um, as their freedom as Hong Kong residents being uh, infringed upon. Okay, I think that clears things up quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to splice in now the rest of the podcast. I, I guess the big question after all that, HJ, <laughs> the big question is like, like, should we be boycotting Milan? Like, should we care? Like, my first reaction was because I was getting my, my reaction. The, my Twitter thread was just hijacked, completely hijacked by this boycott Milan stuff in a very aggressive way that was it left a bad taste in my mouth that like it wasn't like peaceful pro like it was very angry and uh, i mean it sounds like there's you know, a lot behind this a lot fueling this so it's not like i, I want to oversimplify things but like it left me with a very bad taste in my mouth that like you know i'm, I'm all for people protesting but like should we be protesting should we not be seeing this movie like what, what should we be doing it's a complicated situation, as I was saying, and um, it's really up to you. Um, this is a film made by Disney and not by uh, Chinese studios, so it won't be going to the Chinese government in any means. But uh, going back to what you were saying before about who this audience was made for, uh, when I visited the set of Mulan um, and speaking to the producers, especially producer Jason Reed, and they spoke about uh, trying to appeal much more to the Chinese audience. This movie is made much, very much for that Chinese audience and almost explicitly made for sort of to circumvent any potential problems with the Chinese government censors. Um, the Chinese movie market is known to be especially strict when it comes to uh, progressive issues like LGBT um, representation, anything that really goes against the government. So it's it's complicated and like um and and it's also one person saying this one thing and this movie was made by thousands of people Mm -hmm. like should they all be punished even if you believe in this issue for for sure and i wondered um this is actually something i was speaking to ben about before i haven't seen mulan yet um i don't know if this is an element that will be appearing throughout mulan but in a lot of chinese made films, uh, even popular films like Ip Man. They're very sort of uh, pro-China imperialist elements that are seeded throughout these films. A lot of them have pretty overtly propagandist messages. <laughs> and um, I um, and, you know, we still enjoy these films, too. And we watch them with that sort of no- knowledge that these are made by, like by and for Chinese like um, uh, governments that isn't so kind to its citizens. Um, but I wondered, uh, as I was, you know, going through my set visit report, um, and, uh, looking at the way that Disney's almost seemed to be tiptoeing around, um, the representation of China and Chinese culture in this, I wondered if some of these almost imperialist propagandist elements would be making their way into Mulan. And um, Ben, why don't you speak about this? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really, and Peter, let me know if you saw anything, but I I didn't, I tried to watch it with that 
with those concerns in mind a little bit because I was just curious because because of what she said, like a lot of movies that are, um, I guess, friendly to China, you could say, uh, have that that pro China message. And I, I knew about this um, controversy beforehand. So I was just curious about that. But I, I'm not like an expert on the geopolitical situation in China and all that. But um, I didn't really see anything that was overtly, uh, you know, pro China in a way that went beyond the bounds of um, of just the classic Mulan story of like doing the duty to your country and like serving the army because, you know, you're called upon to do that. Um, but Peter, did you notice anything that was particularly, uh, I don't know, egregious or stood out to you as being like a, a moment that sort of made you raise your eyebrows that seemed like a pro-China kind of thing? No, I didn't. And I, I usually do like with... Um... What was that big movie last year, HT, that was like a Wandering a, Earth. A wandering Earth. Like, you know, it was all over that. It was like. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> They're like, China and Russia's friendship will save the world. <laughs> yeah, it was It was hard not to see it in that. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't see it in this. Uh, but I, I do want to say um, what Ben said about the uh, emphasis on the elements of uh, doing your duty to save your country, doing your duty to your country, uh, is in line with the uh, original Confucian lessons from the original ballad of Mulan, which uh, the movie takes a lot of inspiration from. I wrote about this in, uh, in my um, Asian diaspora piece for Mulan. You can link it in the show notes. And um, it definitely feels more like that's part of what they're doing to appeal more to the Chinese audience because it's about duty. It's about those Confucian themes versus being just about, you know, the feminist, uh, um, empower empowering feminist story that you have in the original animated film. Yeah. Okay. We've, we've talked enough about Mulan today. Let's move on. Let's talk about Paramount. They are launching a new banner for Blu-ray movies where everybody else is going streaming. They, they, they're put, putting their money in, uh, physical releases. Chris, what is going on here? Yeah, I'm actually thrilled about this because like you said, a lot of studios would love to just kill off their physical media entirely. And Paramount is taking uh, the complete opposite approach with this uh, this new label called Paramount Selects where they're giving um, movies in, you know, from their library special uh, Blu-ray releases. Um, it's uh, the, the first one's come out April uh, 21st, and it's going to be uh, Fatal Attraction, uh, King Creole, which is an Elvis Presley movie, and uh, uh, To Catch a Thief from Alfred Hitchcock. And what I'm excited about this for is, because they mentioned in the press release, and I wrote this up too, that the plan is to be, you know, to start releasing films that never got uh, a Blu-ray release. Like, uh, I, I really hope for, you know, personally, I hope they do uh, Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead, which is a Paramount movie that has only been released on DVD for some reason. And I would love, like, a, a special Blu-ray for that. So, uh, you know, again, if, if you're not into physical media, none of this will probably appeal to you. But if you, you know, if you like collecting Blu-rays, as I do, this is this is cool news. It's, you know, it's it's another sort of boutique thing to look forward to. Yeah, and I had previously heard about this, and it, it was kind of pitched to me as like Paramount's version of the Criterion Collection, where they're going to honor, not, not only release these films, but honor them with, you know, some very powerful special features and and give it you know the the not just the the remaster they 
deserve, but also, you know, some accompanying uh, extras and stuff like that. So that, that that's exciting um, yeah. because even if you aren't into physical media, those extras are probably going to eventually trickle their way down to streaming in some way. So uh, not that Paramount has a streaming service, but not yet. Give them time. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing we were talking about yesterday is the coronavirus. Uh, I'm actually surprised they didn't delay Mulan because of, you know, that having, a, you know, a big Chinese audience. Um, there, there's We have some new updates today. There are some movies delayed. There's some changes with game shows. HD, tell us about it. Yeah, uh, well, recently the Centers for Disease Control ha uh, issued an advisory that the elderly avoid crowds and stay home as much as possible in case of an outbreak of their communities. And it seems that advisory, in addition to just the escalating nature of the uh, coronavirus epidemic, is starting to take um, make take a hit on uh, theater and movie releases as well as TV. So essentially... Um, Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, is the latest film to be pushed back uh, because of coronavirus concerns. It has been pushed back to the summer. The film was initially due to launch uh, March 19th in Australia, March 26th in Germany, Portugal and Ukraine, and March 27th in the UK, followed by a wide international release in April and um, US bow in April 3rd. But um, because the first Peter Rabbit was such uh, had such a big... Um, box office success internationally with best performance in France, Germany, and Japan. Sony is uh, essentially deciding to push it back to give those markets a chance to come back. Um, Asian European markets right now are recording historically low box office weekends, so they're not taking a chance with the sequel. And uh, a new Hollywood Reporter report says that studios are bracing right now for a downturn downturn in moviegoing in the weeks ahead um, in the aftermath of the CDC recommendation for the elderly. So uh, this is something that we'll probably be seeing in the next few weeks uh, with just like lower box office numbers and potentially more um, movie delays. The first a big one, of course, being No Time to Die. And now there's just a ripple effect throughout um, and of course, it's happening in TV too, which is kind of an unexpected thing. But according to Deadline, game shows like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, which have audiences that are generally older and from out of town and shoot um, in studio, uh, will begin taping episodes without studio audiences now for the foreseeable future. Um, and Jeopardy uh, host Al Trebek will continue his duties for now uh, while he's still ba battling stage four pancreatic cancer. So it's possibly uh, to help his... Um, to um, protect his health as well. So, um, but, and um, another thing that's happening is that the Broadway theater attendance uh, will probably be taking a significant toll. Um, and in, a, in a rec a response to that, producer Scott Rudin is um, cutting down ticket prices to $50 through March to help keep theaters full. His shows like To Kill a Mockingbird, West Side Story, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Book of Mormon are typically sold out um, and played in near full houses, but um, he's anticipating that those full houses will be seeing a lot of cancellations in the coming weeks, and so he is trying to get seats, get butts in the seats uh, with uh, sh uh, smaller prices. Um, but um, one that hasn't really been, up been affected by coronavirus so far is the Cannes Film Festival, which is still on for the time <laughs> being. Uh, but there is an interesting new variety report that revealed that the festival won't be able to rely on an insurance claim in the case of cancellation. And uh, it's kind of strange since um, the insurance company for the festival had offered to uh, 
states give them a buyback option covering epidemics and pandemics around 10 days ago, but can decline. So now if they get canceled um, and if they're you know forced to shutter because of the uh because of the government, then they won't be able to get any money from that. So, um, which which will be interesting to see how they'll play out. Because right now, the French government has made a recent ban on gatherings of more than a thousand people, and with Cannes coming in late May, that um, ban might still be in place. Is it irresponsible for a producer to like lower the ticket prices to get more people to gather together in like a small room to watch a play in these times? Probably. Um, <laughs> But, you know, the show must go on, yeah. as they say. I'm that, supposed to see Hamilton here in Los Angeles on Saturday night, and I've been, like, keeping my fingers crossed that they weren't, aren't going to cancel the show. So, I, <laughs> you know, selfishly, I'm just like, I'm not sick, and hopefully there won't be – it won't be too bad. So, yeah. I don't know. I've been seeing some ads for cruises on my – like, j- just, like, come up. And it, it, one of them I clicked on because I was like, this can't be right. And there was, like, a cruise out of Florida to – Mexico or so, somewhere. Uh, it was like a seven-day cruise, and it was like $200 per person. And it was like, we are adding in a free open alcohol bar. We're adding free Wi-Fi. Like, it was like a list of things that usually you have to pay extra for. And it was like, the price of the cruise is already like heavily discounted. It was insane. So uh, I wonder how many people are going to be, you know, have no fear and <laughs> take advantage of these deals. The question is who willingly goes on cruises? <laughs> cruises, you know what? I never wanted to go on a cruise until I went to, on a Disney cruise uh, because I wanted to see what it was like. And it, it is actually a lot more fun. It's, it's hard to describe because I'm not one of those people that likes like lounging around and like swimming in pool. Like I'm not like a – when I go on vacation, I want to do stuff. But uh, there's a lot to do on a cruise. I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know. But it, it, it might be a bad idea to do a cruise during during these times. Yes. We're, yeah. We are not uh, experts by any means on the coronavirus. But yeah. just uh, everyone wash your hands and use hand sanitizer. Be safe out there. I, I will say this. Cruise ships already are, like, very cautious in terms of, like, illnesses and stuff. Like, when you go to a restaurant on a cruise ship, Outside the restaurant, they have these, like, basically hand-washing machines that everybody, before they go into the restaurant, have to wash their hands. So, like, it's 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 already, like, kind of a big thing because, you know, you have a lot of people on one ship, boat. What is this? Ship? I got yelled at once for calling it the, the one that it's not supposed to be called. I think it's a boat? I don't know. Whatever. Either way. Apparently, there's a difference, and people get mad when you call it the wrong thing. Everyone, emails up here no, at no, don't. to correct us. <laughs> no. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Halloween Horror Nights. This is an annual gathering at Universal Studios in both Florida and Cal- in Hollywood. And actually, I think they even do it overseas in Japan. And this is like one of these haunted events where they they create mazes based on uh, movie properties and it's a lot of fun. It, it originally, I think was like only a couple weeks. Now I think Halloween Horror Nights in Florida starts at like the beginning of September or something insane like that. Uh, and now apparently there's been discussions that Blumhouse might be making a Halloween Horror Nights movie. Chris, what do we know? Right. So there, uh, nothing's official yet, but um, the Halloween Horror Nights have had several, uh, Blumhouse themed um, mazes or attractions or whatever they have there. I've never been there, so I don't entirely know what they have. I'm guessing it involves 
people jumping out at you wearing masks. Yeah, like no, every other. It, it, it's these elaborate sets. So you walk through like a movie, like they they've had like Happy Death Day, or right. I think last year they had a bum. It was just like Blumhouse House, and then you'd go through like every room would be like a different movie from Blumhouse that you would be transported into that world into a scene from the movie, and you'd get scared. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds neat. And because, you know, Blumhouse has this relationship with Universal, uh, during an interview, Jason Blum mentioned that there actually has been conversations about a potential uh, Halloween Horror Nights movie. Um, he didn't really give any more details, but uh, you know, one could assume it would involve, you know, uh, characters attending Halloween Horror Nights and then the horror becomes real. And they, they've made several movies like this before. There were, there were actually like two movies recently. They were both, they had, both had like fest in the title. One was like blood fest. And the other was like Hellfest. Hellfest, And they had like the same exact plot where, where rambunctious youngsters go to a, uh, a theme park and they get chased by real killers. Um, so I'm assuming that's what they would do with this. But the one difference here would be that, they would be able to use, you know, familiar characters. You know, they would actually have be able to use like Michael Myers or characters from the Blumhouse movies in this movie because, you know, Universal owns those rights. And that might be, you know, an interesting twist, depending on what plot <laughs> they get out of that. I will say this as a as a huge fan of Halloween Horror Nights, the, the events they do. I can't imagine that Universal Studios that makes a lot of money off of people buying ticket prices to go to these events would do a, a movie about killers on the, you know, having a killing spree at these events because I mean, wouldn't that scare people off? But no, uh, no. <laughs> that's what they want. People want to be chased by real killers, Peter. That's what they we're all going for here. See, I, I do like your, what you're getting at, Chris, that there that there's an idea here to kind of mash up a bunch of Universal properties that in any other light would have no business, you know, coming together into one movie. And yeah. th there could be something fun there. And I'm also wondering, like, maybe maybe it, it takes the approach that, you know, I, I guess I haven't seen these movies. Did you see Hellfest? And Yes, I've seen both of those films. I'm guessing those movies were just like actual killers in these, you know, during a night at one of these events, right? Yeah, it was basically literally that. It was just like, there's a real killer in the amusement park. And, yeah. You know. So w what if this was like a different approach where like the monsters from these movies somehow come alive out of the mazes or maybe the mazes transport the people into these worlds or something like so that? So like, like Jumanji is what you're saying? I could, yeah. I could watch that. I, yeah. I'd be all for that. I know. I'm excited for this. I'd like. I'd like to see it. Uh, and uh, you know, if you've never been to Halloween Horror Nights, I highly recommend it. Uh, Chris, you got to make the journey one of these days. I do. One day, I would like to actually go to yeah, at some point. One day. Yeah, you'd love it. Uh, okay. Uh, we've also been talking a lot recently about Quibi. Uh, now we found out how the advertising is going to be working on this new streaming service. Uh, ben, tell us about Quibi Quibbertizing. <laughs> uh, they they do not call it that by the way although i wouldn't put it past them for a company that calls themselves quibi but they, they uh, should ben they should yeah, i think you're right um so there are going to be two tiers for quibi customers there is an ad supported subscription that costs 4.99 a month and then there's an ad free version that costs 7.99 a month so if you pony up for that ad free version, then almost none of what I am about to say is going to apply to you. So if you pay eight bucks a month, you'll be able to skip all the ads. 
basically just like Hulu. Um, but like Hulu, there is this uh, ad-supported version that's a little bit cheaper. So if you decide to uh, subscribe to Quibi and pay that, uh, then here's what's going to happen. There's going to be unskippable pre-roll ads before every single one of its TV shows and movies or whatever you want to call it, the, the Quibi content, basically. Um, the company has already sold $150 million worth of advertising for its first year, and they have locked its ad partnerships down to just 10 companies that are going to be uh, promoting multiple brands with you know that those companies own over the first year. Um, there will not be any political ads during its first year, so thank God for that. Uh, and basically, each of these pre-roll ads can be either six seconds, 10 seconds, or 15 seconds long. There will be no mid-roll ads, so that's a plus. Nothing's going to interrupt your programming once you finally get into it N nothing's gonna interrupt my five minute program right yeah exactly um and then like overall quibi is gonna run two and a half minutes of ads for every hour of programming so um you know if you basically that that breaks down to if you decide to watch a full hour of quibi stuff like 12 five minute chunks of a show in a row you're gonna get 12 unskippable ads which could be anywhere from six to 15 seconds long so that's the the long and short of it that that's not too bad like I, I feel, yeah. yeah, not terrible. And also like the the whole uh, turn style technology that Quibi has, where you can turn your phone, you know, from <laughs> horizontal to vertical and seamlessly transition. That is going to apply to the ads too. So man, I can't wait to see what the what the hashtag brands come up with for, you know, creative ways to get people to turn their phones sideways when they're trying to buy toilet paper or whatever the hell. Wait, wait, have they actually coined the term turn style technology? Yeah, that's what they call it. Damn it, they should have went with a Quibi pun of some kind. <laughs> okay, uh, our last story for today is about Thor, Love and Thunder. We have found out that the Guardians of the Galaxy might be in this movie, which I don't think is that surprising, but Chris, tell us about it. Right, so well, so this news comes from Vin Diesel, which you should always take with a grain of salt because he's in his own different world. It's, it's his world and we're all just living in it. Um, but during an interview for Bloodshot, his new movie, which looks awful, uh, Vin Diesel casually mentioned that uh, Thor will, quote, incorporate some of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, like you said, Peter, this isn't the most shocking thing. Um, you know, the end of Avengers Endgame has you know, Thor with the Guardians and, you know, they're about to go off to space together. And Chris Hemsworth has had a surprisingly great chemistry with that cast when he was with them in the Avengers films. Um, I think at the time, maybe they were sort of planning it to have uh, the guardian um, have Thor in guardians of the galaxy volume three. But then of course the James Gunn situation happened, that movie got pushed and now we're going to be seeing Thor before that. So maybe they're, you know, sort of swapping it out to, you know, take care of that. And, uh, yeah, so we don't really know what, how big their part is going to be in this new movie or, you know, how many of them are going to be in it. But uh, that's, you know, that's the news, according to Vin Diesel. Yeah, as I said, I, I think we pretty much expected this. Uh, the, so, yeah. Uh, okay, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and rate and read this podcast on itunes tell your friends spread the word and we will see you tomorrow